What's up, everybody? I'm Mike Wilson with Any Hour Services, and we're proud to help bring you this podcast. If you ever need a resource for information about your home's electrical, plumbing, heating, or air conditioning system, you can find Any Hour Services on Facebook, YouTube, or online at anyhourservices.com. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Welcome to Ideation Collective. I'm Jess Larson. This is part two of our episode with Jeff Teagues. Less than 1% of pimps, traffickers are ever prosecuted for that crime. So you have a 99% chance to enter into this crime category, make a ton of money at the expense of children, girls, and women, but you're going to get away with it. 99 out of 100 times. And we have just got to change those numbers. This is another episode of our Innovation and Leadership series where we interview pro athletes, world-class musicians, CEOs, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. Before we get rolling, I want to invite you to get involved with Child Rescue, the charity our founders started. To learn more about them, just come to our website, iCollective.co, and check on the Child Rescue tab on our menu. Also, I want to talk to you about one of our show's sponsors. I met these guys back on episode six. CEO Zach Smith was telling me all about starting a skateboard company and how much he hated doing the bookkeeping uh, for a skateboard shop and how he really uh, got led to start this business, Bookly, that's a hybrid combining bookkeeping software and human services. And I'll tell you why I let him become a sponsor. It's because I use their service now. I don't love paying 50 bucks an hour for bookkeepers to do stuff that I know software could do way, way cheaper, but uh, I don't love bookkeeping at all. So I want a real live human who knows what they're talking about to help me with the stuff I don't understand. Uh, probably the straw that broke the camel's back for me, though, the thing that put me over the top was that they could do my taxes and payroll also. Um, so totally suggest checking them out. Go to their website, bookly.co, and check out their flat rates. I've been super happy with them. So now on to today's episode. Jeff is the chief operating officer at theguardiangroup.org. It's a 501c3 charity that's preventing child trafficking, combating trafficking. Um, they get out there and, and help law enforcement um, assist both on the cyber side and uh, with operations. He's a senior consultant with us at Mylan Advisors. He, he teaches and advises senior leaders from our, from our corporate clients. Um, he's a jujitsu expert. We're going to talk a bit about that. And if you didn't catch part one, please go back, listen to part one um, about Jeff's service, both in the Rangers and Special Forces, and then to some of the even more specialized units. Um, but Jeff, where we left off, we were talking about um, jujitsu and the idea of, of how you really have to spend the time to learn what you're up against, you know, with, with the, the folks, your opponents, right? And I started thinking about... Um, you know, you think about the innovation that's needed to adapt and overcome, whether it's in business, whether it's in nonprofit, whether it's protecting kids. And there really is this concept of, you know, you talked about the basics, you got to go to the basics, but there's, it seems like, and correct me here if you see it differently, but it seems like the really incredible jujitsu practitioners or folks in any field, it's 
they've got the basics so handled that they don't have to spend time thinking about it and they can pick up on the nuances. Like I'm thinking about, um, you know, the innovation that you guys need to help law enforcement with to, to, you know, combat the way this crime is evolving out there. And I just, I was thinking about the analogy of, man, the more you, you roll around with a guy in judo or, or jujitsu, um, the more you can, if you've got your basics down, you can identify the nuances and, and it, it's, you know, the difference between having somebody off balance or not off balance is, can be pretty subtle sometimes, but it makes all the difference. What, what would be your reaction to that? Or what would you say about that? Well, for, first thing, dude, I, I'm chuckling a little bit because, man, you cannot qualify me as a jujitsu expert. I'm going to get my butt kicked. all <laughs> So I, I am a journeyman. It's a passion of mine, you know, that, that I share with my, with my sons and, you know, it's a, it's, it's just a, it's a wonderful sport, um, and self-defense. So just to put the word out there, so, uh, I don't have guys breaking down my door or wanting to choke me out. Um, it's a passion <laughs> and, I, and I love it. Um, so yeah, let me, let me blend a couple of these things together too. Uh, we've talked about jujitsu and we've talked about kind of my life in special operations. And what, what I think is interesting is, you know, somewhere along the line, I'm, I'm not even sure what year this came out. Um, but we've got, we've got this thing that, you know, it hangs on our wall and, and, and people are taught it early on as they come into, into special forces is it's called the, the soft truths, the special operations forces truths. And I, and I think these truths, um, apply to jujitsu uh, and they apply to guarding group and, and the way that we're tackling this crime. So w- one of them, and we talked about a lot of this in, in part one, uh, the first soft truth is humans are more important than hardware. You know, it's, it's, it's the humans that matter. And when you think of special operations, we, we don't have much, you have what you carry on your back. Now there is, you know, we're integrated into the battlefield with, with a lot of other things, but it's not about the tank or the airplane or the jet or the bomb or the ship. It's a, it's about that human. Um, and, and that's what we talked about a lot about in the first episode. And it's the same thing about jujitsu. Uh, while the highest level jujitsu practitioners, they do a lot of other things to augment their jujitsu. Most of us to get better at jujitsu, just do jujitsu. There's no equipment involved. There's the gi uh, or, or no gi and your opponent. So it's, it's really a human driven sport. Uh, one of the other, other, it's the next soft truth. Before, before we pop, yep. pop, go on there, you know, as an entrepreneur now, um, now that, now that you, you concluded your military service, um, can you talk about what you feel like the business translation of that is about, you know, it's, it's the people, not the equipment. Oh man, we could have a, a whole other podcast on this. <laughs> um, well, because, you know, um, it's something that, that we bump into head on. Um, and again, specific to trafficking, but you, you know, this is in the corporate world as well, <clears throat> because technology is so capable today, too often we think there's a technological solution to something, you know, um, and, and we've gotten so far ahead of ourselves with what technology can do to, I'm using air quotes here, make things more efficient that we've, we've lost this relationship, you know? Um, and that's one of the things that's frustrating to me as, as we're in this space of counter-trafficking, there's a lot of people in this space and there's a lot of people promising a technical solution, techno- technological solution that just isn't there. This is a relational solution. And I think when you look at corporate America and, and the couple of programs that I've been involved in, specifically Breakline, I, I, you know, I know you had been introduced to, to Bethany with those folks. Um, it was one of those things where we look to blend veterans with the corporate world and specifically with the, with the technology world. And, and what was interesting to me is the corporate world. And, and again, what I was exposed to specifically technology, they are in sore need of leaders 
and leadership and people that know how to build teams and relate with people and 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 break down those friction dynamics to get things accomplished. And there just isn't a technical solution or a robot that's going to get that done. Well, okay. It's funny because, you know, strategies so often, it is this silver bullet thing where it feels like, man, it's so much work to do all the human side. You know, isn't there some, isn't there something we can buy that will fix that or whatever, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm thinking about uh, when you and I were training that solar company in the summer. Um, are there any of those stories that you feel like you could share about, you know, human leadership and having a relationship on a team? Any of those ones from that day that you think maybe be worth, be worth sharing here? Or do you want to think yeah, about that? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to remember um, some of the stuff that we talked about specifically. Oh, I, I guess, um, yeah, I, this goes back to, I, I think, the leadership side of it. Um, this humans are more important than hardware piece, knowing your role. You know, there there were certain instances, um, I think we talked about in, in that setting, you know, where we had we had landed in a location with our helicopter assault. Oh, yeah, that, yeah. Can you tell that you story? Know, it, it wasn't appropriate. It wasn't the right place. It was too close to the low ground. It was too close to a village. It was a vulnerable spot. And the lead pilot didn't say anything. And the, and the troops aren't major didn't say anything. And none of the team leaders said anything. And, and I and I felt I fell into my role, um, and I and I and I deferred to those guys because as as the officer in this group, you're you're looking more at the the bigger picture and kind of the strategy and how you're integrating these different um, these different pieces on the battlefield. And and there are other guys tasked with the simple things of where do we land these helicopters, you know. So we landed in a location that j- it just wasn't right, and it was it was an odd place. We never landed in places like that. It made us vulnerable. And is this the and one I, with the tall grass? Am I remembering this story? It is. Yeah, it, there, it was. It was right near a river, and there was tall grass, and there was there was avenues for these insurgents to to sneak up on us. Now everybody um, thought we were only going to be there for a short amount of time. Well, what ended up happening was one of the helicopters had a mechanical issue, so we ended up being there longer. So what what we all kind of dismissed initially as this isn't a very good place was exacerbated by how much time we were there. And lo and behold, as as you know, why this is a good story is a a couple of guys snuck up on us and threw an ambush right on top of it. That included machine guns and uh, homemade rockets. And it it was effective fire. And uh, and but for the grace of God, nobody got hit. Um, But there was lead flying everywhere. Um, We had helicopters that were hit and we counterattacked immediately. And once once the situation was subdued and we were back at at our base safe, we all kind of looked at each other and said, how how did we miss that? You know, and and each guy, the flight lead, the team leaders, the troops, aren't major all said, you know, I I felt in my gut that this wasn't the right place that, that we know better. But I figured someone else would say something and we all deferred to the next guy to say something. And it could have been a catastrophic event. And when I look at guarding group and this idea of trafficking, that's that parallel. Too many of us think that Somebody our federal government, about it. yeah, someone else is doing it. You know, the federal government has a plan. They, they, they do. But this is this can only be accomplished from the bottom up. Really, really attriting this crime and getting after can, this. Can you talk about what that means? Can you talk about how, hey, even if I'm just a dad driving my kid to soccer practice, calling in a tip matters or when, when you say bottom up, can you talk about what that means? Yeah. And, and, and part of that too. And, and, you know, the, I am, I am not a businessman and it still pains me to ask people for financial support, but it, it, it really is largely that the financial support, <clears throat> excuse me, that's required to get professionals involved in this crime. 
that's our biggest late, uh, gap right now. Uh, we literally have men and women from the special operations community lined up and waiting to apply their skills against this set. But we have to employ them. You know, my my uh, my stubborn so, well, children let, let, want to eat every day. You know I mean? Yeah, yeah. Let, let's stop there. To take into consideration. Yeah. So um, somebody listening, let's say they they want to donate or they want to run a fundraiser for you guys. What's the best way for them to to get in contact and do that? Where should they be headed on online? Yeah. So again, to the to the website, theguardiangroup.org. Well, we've got uh, info at the Guardian Group uh, that you can reach out to us and we'll we'll talk it through. There's there's ways to donate specifically uh, off of that website. And the other thing, too, would be to introduce us to these corporations and these folks that would have a vested interest in really uh, confronting this crime. You know, the hotel industry is one of the places that uh, we are really anchoring. To yeah. Can, get, we, can we talk uh, about that industry for a minute and just talk about sure. what a, what a um, leverage point that is, you know, where this is a bottleneck that that major strides can be made in, in helping protect children in America? Yeah, perfect. Um, you know, we had discussed on episode one also where the some of these friction points were at um, potentially with law enforcement or, or finding the support. And one of the things I found interesting, um, just like we've been saying, you have to understand where these people are at, what their needs are, what their concerns are. When we when we went into the hotel industry and talked to them about this crime, one, most of them were unaware of the crime and definitely unaware of how prolific and how much they were being manipulated with the security and anonymity that's provided in hotel. So when, when a a buyer goes online to, to purchase a girl for sex, where where do we think that this encounter occurs? The stats are 80 to 90% of the time it occurs at a hotel. So these hotels are being used. This, this is the battlefield where this fight can be won from a community where hotels can take a very active stance, a proactive stance, the the duty of care to secure their guests and to ensure that they're not being manipulated into this crime category. So when we when we talked with law enforcement, I mean uh, hotels, one of the programs we have is a education process, a recognition and response pro- training program online that allows them to understand what this problem looks like and what these indicators look like, and then put a guardian seal uh, wherever it is they want to display um, the seal. The seal has two different impacts. One, defensively for that hotel over time, with our vision that the guardian seal grows across the country, a pimp, a trafficker is going to see that visual sign and choose another hotel because he recognizes they've been trained. So that's the defense. The offense is when a girl comes into a hotel who's being exploited, she may have that short amount of time to reach out for help and make a cry for help and connect with somebody. And for her to recognize what that guardian seal looks like allows her to be feel comfortable that this staff has been trained. So now I'm getting back to what I was saying earlier. When we talked about this with the hotel industry, they said to us specifically, look, I understand. I understand what what you what you're talking about. And I understand how we need to get engaged in this fight. But there are nuances we have to we have to think through. Like, for example, we don't you don't walk into our hotel and you see a sign that says we don't have bed bugs. You know, they they <laughs> they don't want implants. Yeah, yeah, they, they, exactly. So that that's the same thing. And so with with that, we've tried to make the guardian seal um, small and kind of, you know, very innocuous that pe- when people are looking for it, they're looking for it. Um, 
So that's one of those things we're working through with them. They recognize that they're on that on that battlefield. Um, but what is more necessary than just understanding what these indicators look like is providing them a space, a web-based application or a mobile app to report when they think they see these indicators. Uh, because you cannot inundate law enforcement with what you think you might be seeing. And you certainly, as a hotel staff, want to make some sort of false accusations against folks. So we're really trying to find that space where they can safeguard themselves, where they can satisfy the duty of care responsibilities that they have and shift any liability when trafficking occurs at their hotel to these actual predators. And we're, we're in that work now. And, and it's something that we're looking to really develop over the next couple of years, because that is the battlefield. That is the place where this crime is taking place. And uh, both the hotel staff and even the, the average citizen, as you travel, that's where you're going to see it. No, it that's it, where the vulnerabilities are. It's such a great leverage point. You know, Child Rescue here is on the Attorney General uh, Human Trafficking Task Force, the, the UTIP force here. And uh, just, I don't know, six weeks ago, um, it was we had a success story with exactly the kind of trainings you guys do. Um, one of the local motels uh, staff had just been through the kind of trainings you guys teach, and the manager called in the tip, and law enforcement out here were able to come in and uh, rescue the kid from the trafficking situation. So it's not just a theory like we we've seen it in action out here just recently yeah it works you know and and you know while it's to be determined how networked you know child trafficking is across the united states um there's definitely an informal network and, and that's that example too if you if your hotel gets a reputation as being an easy target um more and more trafficker more and more traffickers will, will use it you know so we We've talked with traffickers, we've talked with survivors, and, and how is it that they would select a hotel? And what's interesting is most of the time, a trafficker who's worth his salt is not going to pick the little Motel 6, little Ma and Pa hotel. They're looking for a hotel that they can hide in the masses. So 40 to 60 rooms, multiple entry points, you know, and, and then proven success. So they'll look and see where other pimps and traffickers are, are doing their work, where these other locations are advertised, and, and they will pile on. They will they will maximize that success. So that's the, the immediate thing that we're trying to do with Guardian Group and the community across the United States is just begin to tip those scales. Right now, the rewards greatly outweigh the risks. And we've just got to tip those scales a little bit to get these guys off their game. You know, yeah. one, one of these stats, Jess, that's staggering is the, 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 the stat is less than 1% of pimps traffickers are ever prosecuted for that crime. So you have a 99% chance to enter into this crime category, make a ton of money at the expense of children, girls, and women, but you're going to get away with it 99 out of 100 times. And we have just got to change those numbers. Well, I just wish we could get you to be passionate about the issue. You know, I just <laughs> I don't know how we're going to um, I don't know how we're going to get you amped up about it. OK, well, listen, um, you know, certainly it's something we talk about on the show every every episode. Um, we feel very similar. We appreciate the work that you guys are doing to make such a difference. Um, shifting gears just a little bit here as, as we wind down for the episode. Um, I'd love to, you know, at, at Mylan, um, certainly one of the reasons we are so attracted to having you come be one of the instructors is that, you know, you know, these these theories of humility and leadership and doing the right thing even when you don't feel like it you know they're not just theories they're things you had to you had to live out there in harm's way um when you think about 
you know, there's leadership challenges of knowing the right thing to do and then reducing the friction from the team to actually get them to want to do it. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which certainly, you know, less effective forms of leadership offer big carrots and big sticks uh, versus the more advanced forms, which are, you know, getting dialed into what's going on for somebody having the relationship, figuring out what they want and how doing what the team needs fits into what they want. These kind of things. Um, are there any of your, um, your your stories from being in the service that, that you can relate to that you can tell us about just a, a specific case of, man, things could have gone real sideways and, and, you know, we had some friction and we were able to solve the friction and accomplish the mission. Hmm. I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot. Maybe we should think of another story if that one of those doesn't come right to mind, but yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's it, what, you know, it's not that one story didn't come to mind. It's that I was, I'm flooded with stories that come to mind and I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to separate them. I mean, that's the, that's the friction of, of the battlefield. You know what I mean? Um, so let me again, as I'm as I'm thinking this through, let me talk about one of my one of my favorite quotes that I find interesting because I, th- I think this ties in with with um, with the question as well. And a lot of people are familiar with uh, Major Dick Winters. He w- he was the commander of the Band of Brothers, a terrific HBO series and and mm-hmm. a terrific set of books. And and he said something in in, in one of um, in one of his interviews that that I've that I've copied down and I've and I've taken it I've taken it with me. And it's it's when he talks about leadership, he says that it's it's something you have within you that gets the job done. And you, you have to start with a cornerstone of honesty. From there, you build out your character and a base of knowledge. And then with that honesty goes being fair, making decisions. And then this was the the point that I have I haven't heard a lot of people say. Uh, and with those decisions, it's with being right most of the time. And that was something um while i don't while i'm flooded with 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 ideas and images from from overseas and even here i i i don't hear people talking about that a leader needs to be right most of the time and now i'm not talking about zero defect kind of ideology you know what i mean i'm i'm talking about balancing your your character with your competence you know we and and i'm not dismissing these cornerstones of honesty and knowledge experience. But, you know, when, when, when I had the privilege of, of leading special operations troops, um, those were the givens. I was going to be honest. You know what I mean? I'm going to have character. I'm going to make fair decisions. But the thing that really mattered was making the right decisions and making them at the right time. So when, when you ask me that question, I'm, I'm thinking about these, these dynamic battlefields um, these dy- these dynamic targets where things are just moving very, very rapidly. And through y- the base of knowledge that you acquire through personal study and through training and experience, you're just making the right calls. And and I provided that space when I came to Guardian Group to, to make sure that I could be right most of the time when it came to this crime category. And that's what's been exciting for me is we understand what this crime looks like. And in the in just a couple of years of looking at this problem, I think we have a really unique understanding. And you and I have talked about this even just a few times on just even how these folks communicate across social media and what they say when they're saying things and what their what their ads are really saying and, and what it is they're digging into. Um, so I, I, well, you know what? Okay. I, that one story. Yeah, yeah. No, I like where you're going with this. And I think maybe just to add a little bit to what you're saying, um, tell me if I'm interpreting this right, but I feel like the point is, um, it's almost like uh, don't just do think 
Like you really like yeah. as the leader, you know, obviously you come from a community that has a bias for action and there's there's analysis paralysis, which gets large portions of the population. But I do feel like we don't always discuss the fact that um, knee jerk reactions aren't always right. You know, like just doing something about it isn't always the right move. Um, I'm thinking about another one of your stories and you'll have to decide if you think this is the right place to share it. But uh, I'm thinking about a, a gunfight you told me about and uh, there was a guy down and normally that's not your role to be getting out there. And you had to think real hard about whether that really is the right thing to be getting yeah. out there. Is that is that something yeah. you feel like you could share here or maybe a, yeah. a story for another time? Well, no, and, and that's, that's that's cool. And, and you know, the, the thing, again, what what's interesting about that story is, um, you know, the decision for me to put myself into harm's way. And can, can was, we set up a little bit of the stage? Can you tell people a bit about what had happened and where you're at when this was going down? Yeah. So there, we, you know, we, we were on a, on an objective that did not go well. And, and, a, and a bunch of American soldiers got, got shot, um, very, very rapidly over in the middle East, over in the middle East. And we were, a we were a, an economy of force. There was only a handful of us that were, was augmenting this conventional unit. Um, so it went, it went bad fast. And we entered into uh, the courtyard and and there was an individual that was badly, badly hurt, badly shot. And he, he needed immediate attention um, or the risk that he was going to die was was very, very high. Um, so for me to put myself into harm's way, well, that was actually the easy that was an easy decision. That was the easy call. The, the thing that got in my way was if I get hurt, if I get shot running into this courtyard to grab this guy, I'm never going to hear the end of it from the boys. You and know, are, you, are, are you potentially jeopardizing the role, the role that you're supposed to be taking with it, everything you know, else that's supposed to go on, right? Even that was fleeting. You know what I mean? Okay. Even that was fleeting. It, it was this fact that we built this team. You know, we built this team and we all had our roles. And even though our roles overlapped, my role was not be the hero. That was everyone else's role. You know what I mean? My, my role was to organize, manage, lead, command these heroes. You know what I mean? It was not my role to step out into these fights. So even though I'd like to say um, I, it, I, I was wrestling with the idea because how it would have impacted the mission, it was simply the fact that we had built this tight team uh, and the dynamics of that team were, were very well practiced and rehearsed. And for me to enter into um, uh, this situation and potentially get hurt was just was just simply me out of my role. And that was the hardest part of that decision. Not the fact that I was pretty confident I was going to get shot. Not the fact that this guy needed my help. I, the wrestling piece of it was how is this going to be recognized and understood with the team? And and to this day, it just boggles my mind that those were the things um, that were for, foremost in my mind when I was making this split second decision to act or not. So for everybody who's not clear on that, can you can you if you were going to sum that up of what what the what the struggle was for you and how you how you came to the conclusion of what you were going to do? Yes, it was letting my guys down. That was the most important thing to me was was if if I do this aside from getting hurt or wherever, am, am I going to let my team down? Am, am I going to disappoint my team with 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 this decision that I made? Um, and I think, you know, you hear about this often that, you know, soldiers fight for their buddies. They fight for their teammates. And that is certainly the case um, for us in Iraq and both Afghanistan. You know, a highly select organization, um, it became more about us protecting each other 
um, and really us protecting the conventional troops that were out there day in and day out that didn't have the resources and the training um, that we had. So um, I think that sums it up. And that where this goes back to on the things that we've talked about is relationship. It was the re- it was harming the relationship that I was more worried about than the physical harm. You know, it was it was the team dynamics that I was more worried about. Um, than the physical harm. So when you have the opportunity to to build relationships in your company, in your corporation, where that is the most important thing to you, that that integrity of that team uh, and what you guys stand for and how your roles uh, are interlocking, if you get to that point, I think you have a really successful organization because it, it it's it's not physical courage um, that that a lot of people lack. It's that it's that moral courage and that commitment to the collective team moving towards that vision. And, and I don't know if that makes any yeah, sense, Jack. Well, but. <laughs> and, and here's, you know, for people who think, you know, for pe- people who have, you know, a life and death situation, maybe once in a decade or once in a lifetime, it may not be as easy to relate to that story, right? So you think about, hey, somebody's life on the, is on the line, the guy's bleeding out there, right? Um, thinking about the implication of, and, and you know what, we're going to be in a lot more firefights also, and the guys need to be able to depend on me. And we need to, this relationship's got to, this relationship's got to endure every time life is on the line. Can you talk more about like, what are the second and third order effects of well, these kind of me, decisions? Let, let me tie, let me tie this in um, to what we're talking about. Yeah, this sure. is one of the things that, that I that I talk about. Okay, it. So let, let's talk about the corporate world. So pick a company. Say mm-hmm. say say Mylan. Okay, say say Mylan Associates, and you've got two or three guys that are traveling to New York City um, to do a course. Mm-hmm. Okay, if if you haven't built enough respect and dedication with your folks to Mylan that they can avoid the temptation of ordering up a prostitute while they're in New York. You, you haven't done your job. You know, mm. this is so when, when I talk to companies and, you know, when I get the opportunity to talk to sometimes to these professional athletes in these professional sports, again, if you don't have enough respect for yourself to not engage in in buying a girl online who is being manipulated and exploited and quite possibly a minor, if you know it or not, if you don't have the self-discipline and the self-respect for yourself, think about your team, think about your organization. I just had this discussion. Uh, back at Fort Bragg with with the community at U.S. Army Special Operations Command. When you travel overseas, nobody's watching you. And you may not have the the initial self-discipline to refrain from this type of activity. But again, think about your team. That's what you should be worried about. How is this going to discredit and bring dishonor on your company, on your corporation, and on your team. And when you have a group of of employees, when you have a company that thinks that way, you have a high-performing organization. Well, and it's funny because obviously that's a pretty intense example, but it's it's the same – I remember early in my career, actually a guy who was on the show before, uh, Josh Davis, uh, Joel Davis, he's uh, made his money in the chocolate industry, mentor of mine um, in, in a big way when I was getting into entrepreneurship. One of the Joel Davisisms that I've been repeating since he taught me is this idea that um, the flaws of the leader will show up in the organization, right? Yeah. And like what you just talked about is a, a, you know, a more intense example. But you think about things like um, I, I remember a, a guy telling a story of like um, four, four business guys walking through an airport and uh, one guy puts in the quarter for the Wall Street Journal. And uh, while he's got the thing open, he says, hey, anybody want one to grab extra copies for the other guys? 
And and the one guy, you know, without like shaming people, but kind of tongue in cheek says, oh, I think my soul is worth more than a quarter. I'm OK. Right. But um, but he said that he noticed as they walked past the next one, a couple of the guys dumped quarters into the Wall Street Journal box at the next one down, you know. Yeah. And and there's certainly ways that you can do the holier than out holier than thou version of of something as minor as a quarter right 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 but that that there is duplication whether they're the big choices or the little choices everywhere we go right well it what's funny jess almost everything we talk about comes back to relationship you know Mm -hmm. um and that's that's why we're meant to be in relationship to 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 bolster each other you know to you know i'm here to pick you up when you're down or to 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 be a, a, a vanguard for you when you're in a moment of weakness, you know, for to share in your highs, you know, to share in your lows. I mean, I, th- I think those are those are things that companies need to get to. They need to get to that relational level. The technology gets in the way. The pace of of business and just the pace of our lives in America gets in the way. Um, so you know, just tying this all together, where we where we've been talking about all this, it's the same with law enforcement. You have to build those relationships. You have to build those relationships with the corporate world. That's what comes first. And then together we can tackle something as as huge as trafficking. No, I, I think this is a perfect place to end because I feel like that is the biggest message. I think about why I've been so excited to have you on our team at Milan and, and for Child Rescue to support you guys at Guardian Group. And um, I think about like in corporate America with our corporate trainings, right? We can never get away with saying you really need to love your staff because all the dudes will roll their eyes if you use the word love at work, yeah. right? Yeah. But what I love about bringing you guys because it's like bullets are flying and rockets are getting shot is when you guys get up there in front and say, you got to love your dudes <laughs> because it's, that's the part that endures. That's the part that, uh, when stuff gets tough, keeps people together. It seems like, yeah, it's, it's, it's weird to talk about. And I, I, I think I mentioned that to you, uh, you know, a while back when again, us army special operations command was looking at what, what makes us who we are, what makes special operations who we are. Um, and we kept coming back to, to love. We love the mission. We love our teams. Um, we love the men and women to our left and right um, in, in a really profound way. Uh, and we just really wrestled with how do, how do we communicate that though? How do you, you can't just say special operations is who you are because we just love each other, you know, like, like you said, but it just, it just comes down to that, you know, and, and that's, um, guarding group is who we are because we love each other and, and we, we love these, these children that we're trying to protect and we're building relationships with folks that, that want to partner with us. And I, I can't thank you enough for, uh, for all the times here in, in the recent past, how you've been uh, moral support and, you know, e- exchanging ideas with us and w- love what you guys are doing. Thanks a lot for having us. Yeah, this is awesome. Well, uh, check out Jeff's organization. Go to uh, theguardiangroup.org. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody. That was part two of our interview. If you missed part one, please go back an episode and download the episode before this one for the first half of the interview. As always, please check iCollective.co for show notes of things referenced during the interview and to learn more about our guest. And if you're interested, we'd love to have you learn more about the charity Child Rescue. Go to the menu page on iCollective and click on Child Rescue. Thanks so much. Hello, I'm Joe Cordell of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. At Cordell & Cordell, we encourage our clients to participate, to recognize how essential their role in this process is. They've got to be willing to help us help them. And by working jointly in a sort of partnership, 
we're more likely to get the best possible outcome for our clients. And that's really the standard that our clients can fairly hold us to, is what is the best possible outcome for them. So clients who are facing divorce need to recognize that for them to succeed, they need a partnership, a partnership between them and their attorney. The attorneys at Cordell & Cordell work to help men maximize their role in their children's lives. Contact the domestic litigation firm of Cordell & Cordell to schedule an appointment with one of our firm's San Francisco area attorneys, a partner men can count on. 650-389-1111. Online at CordellCordell.com. That's CordellCordell.com. Offices in San Francisco, San Mateo, and San Jose. Se habla español. Legal services available in English and Spanish. Kimberly Llewellyn licensed in California.